You know, this could be as simple as the ritual of brewing your coffee in the morning. You might be making a coffee every single day as we speak. If we bring that sense of ritual intention to that coffee making, suddenly there's this sacred moment in your morning. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hello there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. My name is Dr. Caitlin Harkis. If we have not already met, I so appreciate the honor of dropping into your earbuds today. And today is a mini coaching session. Now, some of the feedback I got is that we would like to have a few more actionable, strategic episodes to really help implement some of the frameworks that have been discussed in other episodes, and that is exactly what I'm bringing you today. Now, we've spoken before about habits, healthy habit creation, how to cultivate small habits and build them into bigger patterns of behavior, whether it is for the purpose of daily um, ritual or whether it is for the purpose of reaching big goals. Today, we are talking about ritual specifically. Now, ritual is essentially a habit with a sacredness, with an intentionality behind it, an intentionality that is more connected, perhaps more spiritual in nature. So there's a lot of research, a lot of psychological research around habits, habit creation, the important roles of habits in our lives structure. And there is also a lot of research around spirituality, connectedness, sacredness being important for emotional well-being. So there's these two areas of psychological research that I believe really support ritual right? Ritual, again, habit with sacredness. So you're bringing your intentionality to patterns of behavior that you are creating. You're bringing present moment awareness, mindfulness, attention, and engaging in activity with clear intention, with heartfeltness. Does that make sense? That's why I believe ritual is going to be a really important part of your life and something that can be done in little micro doses every single day. You know, this could be as simple as the ritual of brewing your coffee in the morning. You might be making a coffee every single day as we speak. If we bring that sense of ritual intention to that coffee making, suddenly there's this sacred moment in your morning. You know, it's not that we have to rearrange your day or that it needs to be these really, really big um, displays of ritual of sacredness. It can be little micro moments. Similarly, a tea that you're making in the evening or that moment when you fold back your sheet covers to hop into bed. Let's take things that you're already doing and bring the sense of intentionality. And from there, you may choose to do you know, more grandiose, bigger, bigger patterns. But let's start small. 
because we know from the conversations we've had around habit creation, we want to keep things in the beginning less than two minutes to anchor patterns into our daily routine. Because if we are relying on motivation to do an activity, it's not going to happen, right? We don't have the same level of motivation every single day. When we're run down, when we're tired, when we've had a rupture in a relationship, it is going to be immeasurably difficult to find the motivation to be doing something that is not habitual. So the ritual becomes habitual, but I believe the intentionality, that awareness is what makes it different, is what brings that other level of connection. So with that, I want to talk you through something that I find really useful when we talk about ritual. And this is something that may be useful for you. In psychological um, therapy, like in the work that I do as a therapist, we talk about something called transitional objects. Now, a transitional object is something that a therapist might give to a client. And the idea is that when the client takes this object out of the therapy room, when they see the object, when they hold the object, it creates in them a sense of connection to an emotional experience, to the therapist, to whatever was happening in the therapy room, in their therapy space when they were given this object. This is something that holds true in life, right? Often people are given objects to connect to a person, a place, an experience. We all kind of know this is true. We can see a photo, we can see a statue, we can see a painting and be taken back to a time when we might have been on holidays or when we might have been surrounded by loved members of our family, friends, whatever it is. Objects can really help anchor us in an experience, a sense, and it's viscerally felt. We can experience in our bodies based on a prompt in our environment. This is why I believe altars are really useful in cultivating ritual and sacredness in our lives. Now, I know that they might sound... Um, for some people, you know, perhaps a bit esoteric or um, religious. And that may be the case if that is how you view the world, how you interact with the world. You know, if religious practice frameworks is something that is meaningful for you, brilliant. Bring that into these practices. If that is not something that is meaningful for you, then you don't need to bring that lens in, right? We're not trying to change the lens, the way that we view the world or the values that we hold. We're trying to bring tools into our lives. So this can be done in a very scientific manner. Like I just mentioned, you know, transitional objects are something we use in therapy all the time. They're part of modern um, evidence-based therapeutic practices, and you can use them too. So with an altar, the idea is that you would create then a little space in your house, a space where you can tap into um, a sense of sacredness and connection, and you put on this altar things that are meaningful for you things that are connecting for you. So this might mean, you know, um, pictures of family, of ancestors. It might mean bringing in things from nature or objects that represent an embodiment of principles of values that you hold. 
I'm going to talk you through a more traditional way in some ways to build an altar where we connect in with the elements. If this feels meaningful for you, let me explain how the elements can actually represent values or frameworks that might be meaningful in your life. Let's start with earth. So if you haven't heard of the four elements, there's earth, air, fire, water, and we'll also bring spirit into this element um, framework as well. So starting with earth, earth tends to represent the feminine or nature. We know, and again, we've had some wonderful conversations around the healing effect of nature in podcast episodes previously. So you can flick back through and grab some of those. You know, we've even talked about how if... um, in your office where you might be sitting right now or on your computer screen, there is an image, a picture of nature, your stress levels are going to be rated lower than if there was like an abstract piece of art, right? Even seeing images of nature is nourishing for us. So it, to me, makes sense that we would bring nature onto our altar. Of course, (laughs) the natural world and being in nature is something that I value. So there's another layer there may or may not align with yourself. The idea is that nature can represent being grounded in your life. So you might bring um, a plant, maybe a little pot plant, a succulent. You might bring flowers, stones. For some people, it might be crystals. Whatever to you represents nature or this feminine sort of generative connective energy. And often the object representing earth would go in the northern spot on your altar. If you feel like kind of setting up directionality on your altar, all of this is optional, right? It has to be meaningful for you. The other thing I want to flag here, when I say feminine, I'm not necessarily using that word as in a dichotomy of feminine and masculine, right? Everything is in flux. And all of us, regardless of whatever gender we um, may identify with or whether we're non-binary, it's this flux of feminine energy, which is just um, a symbolic representation of nature and generative. So I don't um, want the mind to suddenly be dichotomizing. It might just mean like it's this reminder to um, to be in flow, to like nature does, kind of work with the unfolding of what is and to ground grounding being so important in our lives. When we do not have groundedness, we can feel so chaotic. So how wonderful that this little part of the world we're setting up, this little altar can remind us to take this space, this focus and ground. When we then move on to air, air can be such a beautiful representation of knowledge, power of mind, bravery, courage, these states of being. Now for you, it might be that knowledge is a really important value, the power of your mind, or it may be that bravery, courage is really important. And I would argue that courage, even if it isn't one of your values, is vital for showing up in any other valued area of your life. Because as human beings, we experience a lot of anxiety. Fear is hardwired into us. Our brains are designed to look for things that are threatening, scary in our environments. So courage is really important to be able to hold that and to move forward and do valued actions and activities 
even with nervousness, even with some degree of anxiety, okay? So air can help remind you of this and it can help you then kind of see this representation on your altar and each day then when you might see this, when you might engage with the altar, it might affirm to you, you know, that saying, feel the fear and do it anyways. Do the things that are important to you. So supporting you to move in your path. And for a lot of people, incense might represent air on their altar, or it can just be a simple cup, right? Um, A clear cup, and there's nothing inside of it except for air. (laughs) That sense of power of mind, bravery, courage. And it could be placed in the east corner of your altar if that directionality feels helpful. We're going to talk about fire now. So fire really signals the sense of creative energy, inspiration, right? It's feisty. When you have that creative energy flowing, that sort of flow state, that sense of inspiration, there's a lot of energy, fiery energy for you there. And this is something that is quite joyful when we align with it, when we tap into it. As we honor it, it allows us to kind of figure out the areas in our lives where we might be feeling inspiration, where we might be feeling creative. And creativity, again, it might be a value of yours. However, if it is not a value of yours, I still think it is worth honoring because it is your creative your creativity that will allow you to respond to the inevitable interruptions and redirections in your life, right? Life is not streamlined. We might go, we're going from point A to point B and we would love it to be a straight line, but we in our lives are a lot like airplanes. And what I mean by that is that an airplane going from New York to London does not go straight from New York to London, just setting the route and heading because wind and various forces are going to pull and push on that airplane. And there's going to be constant redirection, recorrection. Creativity allows you to do that in your life, right? When something doesn't go according to plan, you figure out plan B, C, D, you make it work. So when you light perhaps a candle to represent fire, allow that to be a reminder to you to cultivate this creative energy, to lean into inspiration and really to embody flexibility in your life. Water. Now, water is really beautiful in terms of representing emotion. You know, it can have this sense of power and flow, intuition, healing. What I find really interesting is when we talk about emotions and intuition side by side, it can feel somewhat difficult for us at times because sometimes we disconnect from our emotions given that they might feel like they're overwhelming us, or maybe when we were growing up, perhaps we got the message that our emotions were wrong or not appropriate. For instance, if we were having really big feelings and we were told, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. It's not a big deal. And for us at that moment in time, it may not have felt fine and it may have felt like a big deal. So we get the sense that what we're feeling inside is not Um, acceptable, is not okay, is not accurate. So we then start to try and disconnect from those feelings. Yet in feeling our emotional states, there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of emotion. We may not choose to act on our emotions and our emotions may not 
um, be reflective of, you know, real danger in our environment or real risk, but it's only in getting familiar with our emotional states and our own um, emotional triggers and areas that are really painful or intense for us that we can actually access that intuition. So I think water is such a brilliant reminder to start to lean into our emotional awareness, to cultivate this embodied experience of emotion. And from there, we can build our intuition, you know, and the power that comes with that, that sense of real healing that water can represent. So it might be for you some, you know, a little cup of water, some seashells or rocks from the beach, whatever it is that for you represents water and this sense of emotions, intuition, power, flow. And then we move on to spirit. Now, spirit is like that fifth element, um, and it is a real opportunity to connect to your ancestors. And again, you can choose what lens this comes from. You know, it can be done in a very secular way if that's what feels uh, meaningful for you. Because when you look back at your ancestors, um, if you have grandparents, or, you know, I recently got my DNA done just because I was curious about really what is my um, genetic ancestry lineage. When you connect to what they might have represented, you can start to embody this yourself and bring it into your life. For me, you know, like looking back at particular grandparents who really embraced me with love, that unconditional acceptance, that feels really powerful. You know, this sense of innate goodness in myself that they seem to see, that's meaningful. And when I look back, you know, my ancestry is very much Scottish and um, Icelandic, so Norwegian. When I look back at that, you know, I see these, um, these, individuals, you know, historically who would have been really connected to the land and, you know, Highlanders in in the north of Scotland and, um, you know, the the Viking sort of travel spirit that that came with the Norwegians um, as they they moved towards and sailed towards Iceland and the like, you know, connecting with that can feel powerful. So perhaps there is something in your being, in your family that feels meaningful for you. And if you don't necessarily have a person that you anchor to, or maybe you're not necessarily aware of um, your family's tradition, that's okay too, right? It might be spiritual traditions. Maybe, you know, you um, have an icon of Buddha, you know, Mother Earth, Jesus, something that for you, from your worldview, from your frame feels meaningful, that individual can represent on your altar as well, represent wisdom, power, this idea of spirit. It's wisdom and power. Really put a mirror, for instance, even on your altar, because you have this inside of you. This isn't as much as it might be an external individual or um, a sense of ancestry, you know, that, that dates back. It's about representing these qualities within yourself, right? You have all of these qualities. You can embody all of these qualities. And ultimately, this altar is really a prompt to allow you with ritual to reflect on who you want to be in the world and then to show up that way. We create ourselves every single day. We are not stagnant. And more and more, the psychological research supports that our personalities are not predetermined. When, um, 
personality tests are done, they can change. So do not take it for granted that you are um, stuck in a particular persona if that is not one that engenders who you choose to be. So let whatever you put on your altar for spirit represent who you might lean into and let that mirror perhaps remind you that these qualities, this wisdom, this power is inside of you, is your being and you can access it. Now, if you want a simple way of setting up this altar without, you know, reaching around, grabbing bits and pieces, or, you know, if you want something when you're traveling, because I know traveling, at least for me, can at times feel um, a bit destabilizing and it doesn't necessarily feel like you have that groundedness, maybe setting up an altar can help. We're starting to travel again now. I see sort of, um, you know, travel pictures popping up left, right, and center home plans as we're making our way through a pandemic, you know, coming out the other side. You could get four cups. In one cup, you could put soil to represent earth. In another cup, you could just leave it empty, representing air. In another can, a little candle to represent fire, and then putting water down to um, in a cup to represent water. And then to represent spirit, maybe you have that mirror, or maybe you have um, a picture, or maybe it's just something that you know kind of holds and surrounds these four cups that you have knowing that where your attention goes, your energy flows, as you focus your attention on this altar, perhaps in the morning, then that will set how you see the rest of the world. We are all influenced by experiences, right? We see what we expect to see. And if we can lean into ritual in the morning, intention in the morning, that will actually change the way that you see your day ahead. So make sure this is meaningful. It's setting you up. And I say the morning, it doesn't have to be the case that you sit beside your altar in the morning. However, in the morning, we tend to have a little bit more energy. So if you haven't heard of spoon theory, spoon theory is a theory that comes out of um, the chronic illness literature. And it's this idea that let's say you have six spoons for your day and the energy to get up in the morning, get showered, get dressed, takes a spoon or two. Then you get to work and the work project that you're on is difficult or there's a difficult interaction with your boss and there goes another spoon. And then you have to get lunch and there's a big meeting in the afternoon and it's disruptive or energetically draining, there's another spoon gone. You have to go past the grocery shop, get dinner, make dinner. Suddenly all your spoons are gone and you've got to the evening. You have no spoons left. It takes a lot of energy then to get through the evening and to even get yourself to bed. Getting yourself to bed takes energy. And this is why so quickly we can get caught in the patterns of scrolling or Netflix binging because we actually just don't have the energy to take ourselves off to sleep. So then you wake up the next day and you're in a deficit. So if we can do something in the morning that will set your intention for the day, you're likely one to have more energy to engage in a ritual, in a practice, but then it can hopefully change your experience of spoon allocation through the rest of your day. Now, it can be having that coffee we talked about beside your altar, just as that reflection, you know, focusing on what's sitting there with intention, the ritual being it's habitual in the sense that you're going to be doing it in um, a very similar way. So it doesn't require a lot of cognitive energy, perhaps every day, a daily ritual, 
or it could be that you engage in a meditation beside your altar, or it could simply be that the altar is somewhere in your house that you see regularly. And when you're grabbing your keys to head off to work, you take a moment to acknowledge the altar, the intention that's there. Doesn't have to be anything mammoth. The main suggestion I have to you is to make this workable small enough that you're likely to be able to succeed in it day after day and you'll miss a day. Totally cool. Come back the next day. Try not to miss two days in a row and bring that intention as to what this ritual means to you with you. Whether it is coffee, whether it is tea, whether it is mindful movement, meditation, It's all about the intention. Why are you doing this activity? How are you doing this activity? Can you show up with mindful awareness? I hope that this has offered you a sense as to how you might bring some ritual, some intention into your life and how an altar might support you in that process. You can grab the show notes for this episode at drcaitlin.com backslash ritual. And there, I'm also going to include um, the altar instructions. So, you know, if you want to really deep dive into setting up an altar and seeing what might be meaningful for you, you can head to drcaitlin.com backslash ritual and download those guidelines there. All right. I am wishing you a wonderful day ahead and please connect on social media and the likes. Let me know if this mini coaching session was useful for you or if there's anything else that you would like me to deep dive into in the weeks ahead. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.